Welcome to Bash University Live. Uh, glad to have you guys with us. Big, big topic today. We're here today to save Lake Okeechobee. As I remember to remind everybody to turn their phones on silent uh, before the uh, <laughs> before the show starts. There we go. And of course, Jeff Olson's messing with me, calling me uh, uh, right as the show kicks off. We're having Scott Martin on. Uh, Scott, uh, you know, has, is a big time professional angler. He's won so much um, and is, you know, become a real popular uh, entertainer in a, in a lot of ways in the sport of fishing. Uh, his family is connected to Lake Okeechobee like no other. And he has an insight into what's happening down there uh, really like like no other. So we're excited to have him with us today. We're going to be talking about Lake Okeechobee, what's happening down there. There's adjustments in the water levels uh, that are being debated, which is affecting the vegetation growth down there, is a, which, of course, affects the water clarity and the habitat for the bass. It had, they all have direct effects on these things. And uh, so we're, so Scott's going to be here with us talking about uh, Save Lake Okeechobee and, uh, and all the, the ramifications of the decisions that are being made down there. So I'm glad you guys are with us. It's important to us at Bass University to take care of our fisheries. And this is why we have the Eco Bass Angler with us today. How you doing, CD? Good, man. I'm doing well. Doing well. You just came back from a derby yourself. Yeah, I was just up at Candlewood Lake. Yeah, yep. yeah beautiful place. I heard they they have um, uh, a little environmental issue they're debating up there they right do. now. They do. Yeah, they. Um, I was there maybe two years ago, and the water mm -hmm. was crystal clear. I was there this weekend, and it looked like the Delaware River. I mean, it was it was dark, dark. It was dark. Yeah, twelve Same. inches of visibility. Yeah, it was it was crazy. Um, not a stick of grass in the lake left. And why is that? How how did that happen? From what I've heard, you know, I was gathering information this weekend that um, it was a response to too much weed growth. They they thought, I guess, the uh, the homeowners, and they put twenty five thousand or thirty thousand carp. They're supposed to live seven years, grass-eating carp, chewed all the grass up. I hate those grass carp. Yeah, right? And I hate when they do the that. The grass is gone. and Nobody found any grass. Nobody could fish any grass. Uh, mm. The water turned dingy. Now I hear the homeowners are complaining that the water's dingy. They don't yeah. want to swim in that. They don't want uh, to swim in the weeds. Murky water. Murky water, right. Mm -hmm. It was much better when there was grass, in you know, my opinion. Um, fishing was good, but. It was certainly better when when there was grass. You know, the fish were just more predictable. You know, right. fine. You know, yeah. um, they just were all relating to hard stuff now. You know, but I don't know how long that's going to last. I mean, that, that mm -hmm. population in Candlewood, fish per acre, it was just incredible fishery. It yeah, incredible fishery. Yeah, it's. I hope, I hope it's not going to drop off because of it. You know. Yeah, it 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 always changes. I mean, anytime you make a dramatic change like that, you're going to be impacting things. And um, unfortunately, well, it seems to be in, in, in the initial phase of a negative impact, but uh, uh, we'll, we'll see how that goes. Uh, give a shout out to Paul Mueller, who I know is uh, he's, you know, another uh, elite angler up there uh, battling that cause up on Canwood Lake in Connecticut. So yeah, he's passionate about it. You know, it's yep. great to see people like Scott. Mm. On, yep. You know, that put it out there, you know what I mean? To help the cause. Yeah. You know? Um. Because if, if not, then, you know, our voices aren't going to get heard, you know, from a fishing perspective, you know. I'm glad we have our little podcast here to give them a platform. I'm glad we have a platform. We're going to be talking about this stuff mm -hmm. uh, because it's important to us. We're battling anglers' access uh, rights here. That's That always seems to be 
our big problem. We had a gate put up at the public launch ramp. Yeah, a local oh. body of water that I've fished for 30 years. Went there as a brand new gate sign. Yeah. Yeah. Locked off. Yep. They lock it at, at their, you know, just at whenever they choose. So yeah, that's something that's something we battle. What what are the issues you guys are battling? Uh I know everybody's got something that is, you know, we gotta have this balance, right? We have these homeowners versus the anglers, uh, versus the water quality issues. We're so thankful to have groups like the ASA that are out there supporting the anglers and appreciate that. And uh and I'm so thankful to have uh Scott on the show today. We're here at Tackle Direct Studios, guys, and uh, I want we, we as always. If you're watching us over on social, we've got a like and share contest, and I want you to pay attention to what we're talking about today because we're probably going to ask a complicated question. At least I think that's what I'm going to try to do mm-hmm. for the grand prize. But what are our prizes today, Josh? Today, if you do our like and share, we have uh, Waterwood Custom Beats, and then awesome. if you do the grand prize, we're doing a very big raffle of prize pack with BMC hooks, raffle of hat, and raffle of crankbaits. We also have a crankbait special going on right now, so if you're not a subscriber, go head on over. Also, since subscribers are being mentioned, Hobie Eyewear has given us a code to send out, so check your email for Memorial Day, pre-Memorial Day sale up to 40% off to our members. What? So check your email. You will be getting multiple codes over the next week for Memorial Day. I love my floating hobies. As you all know, that I need that. Uh, so you definitely want to try to get a pair of those. Um, so, um, so guys, thanks so much uh, for hanging out with us today. Now we, now we have a weird studio set up. Glad to have CD. I call him CD. This is Craig Duran, the Eco Bass Angler, uh, the Conservation Director here at Bass U. Uh, Riz and uh, Justin, what the heck happened? Where are you guys? Well, here's the story, Pete. We uh, we set sail this morning at about 8:30 a.m. to uh, to make the journey to to across the bridge, uh, brave the mighty Delaware. And uh, <laughs> when we got on 95 this morning. We made it two miles in one hour. Um, there was apparently some real bad accident on uh, 95 North. And uh, once you get on that stretch of highway and you're in the gridlock, there's no getting off unless you put the truck in four-wheel drive and hop a median like we did to turn around and head back to the house to, to get on the show. So we're, uh, we're we're coming live from the from the low tide bar down here in uh, – in, in Red Point, Maryland, and uh, we're, uh, we're we're doing what we can. We uh, we weren't going to miss this show for the world, so we're uh, we're coming live from uh, from a little different setup right now. Well, I'm I'm glad to have you guys with us. That's Justin, the intern, who a lot of you guys know, and it's another appearance here on the show. Glad to have you with us, Justin. Uh, uh, you, I got to say, three guys, all three of you guys did well in tournaments this weekend. We're going to dive into that. In particular, the uh, the Susquehanna Summer Slam uh, Derby. Uh, both of you guys uh, cash checks in that tournament. Very impressive in a tough tournament. We'll dive in there. Guys, hang in there to the end of the show because we're going to make the uh, both Justin and Rich give up their waypoints <laughs> uh, at, at the end. Nicely done. But I, I want to ask uh, you, Rich. Um, Jocelyn is, is pulling the switches over here. How'd she do? She's doing great, man. I mean, hey, listen, Jocelyn's an all-star. Everybody knows it, and uh, <laughs> you know it's it's nice that we uh, we got a we got a squad like this that we can just interchange parts and kind of pitch by committee when we need to. 
but uh, yeah, it's she's she's doing a great job. And speaking of the conservation, um, the conservation deals that we're talking about on this show, man, there's one that needs to start getting talked about uh, on the Chesapeake as well, Pete, and it's the blue catfish. I mean, they are getting bigger and bigger by by the week. There's more and more by the week, and we got to start to keep these things in check, man. Um, if I you're know you're doing your part. <laughs> well, yeah, I do. I do my part, Pete. Uh, the, uh, a lot of fish fries, at, a lot of blue cat fish fries at Rich's house. Yeah, right? yeah, they don't. They don't leave my boat alive. They they get the sides knocked off them. But I mean, everybody else that fishes on the bay, I strongly, strongly encourage you to look up the difference between a channel cat and a blue cat. And when you catch those blue cats, we have to take. We have to keep them under control. They're they're killing the crab population. They're killing the rockfish rockfish population. And I hate to say it, but I think we're starting to see an effect on the largemouth population as well. So, um, like I said, guys, if you're watching on your and you fish on the bay, let's let's do what we can to keep keep this place fishing the way it should be. And those blue cats are an issue. So, um, Rich, they they, they uh, got into the Potomac too, right? They yeah, well, they they were in the, they've been in the Potomac for quite some time, and right. um, you know the, the, the up, Potomac yeah. took a took a bit of a of a of a downturn when they really got thick in there and it seems to be on its way back up now. But, uh, you know, I, I think, don't want to see I that. Happen they, uh, I think they put a commercial fishing season on them or something, didn't they? I don't know. I thought people they went did. after them and, and yes, they, that sort of curbed it a little bit. They did. There's, there's yeah. a lot of commercial fishing going on now for the blue cats and guys, I'm here to tell you, they eat good. That's it's not like your typical, you know, mud cat or channel cat with soft meat. It's, it's a different kind of, Different kind of meat. It's firm. It's good. It's flaky. So you know, let's, let's <laughs> keep that But calling all catfish fishermen right. come to the Chesapeake. I've yeah. seen them in the in late in the season when the water gets clear. You can see these herds of I call them herds, giant schools of cats just really just coming wow. under your boat, man. Just wow. so many of them. How's the snakeheads been? The snakeheads are prevalent. You know, I've uh, always wanted to try one of them. Yeah. Well, uh, actually, Justin just caught a giant one this past yeah. weekend. Uh, that I saw on social, but they're they're pretty prevalent. This is the time of year that a lot of guys catch them when the water temperature gets a little bit warm. So, uh, mm. but nice job, Jocelyn, getting us up and running. Thank I you. appreciate you stepping in and being producer today, guys. We're going to take a quick commercial break. If you're just tuning in, we're, we have Scott Martin coming on the show. We're going to be talking about Lake Okeechobee, save Lake Okeechobee. What's happening with the water levels down there, the vegetation, and its impact on the bass. So you're going to want to listen in. We'll be right back after this. What's going on? It's Riz here from the Bash University, and I am excited to welcome in Waterwood Custom Baits to the Bashu family. These are custom handmade baits in the South Rainforest of Brazil. They're made of Marupa Pedra wood. It's extremely dense. It's resistant, but it's also really buoyant. They're made of quality components with a 100% guarantee. They're made for tournament anglers to get it done when the money is on the line. Guys, that was like my second cast with this bait. That's a Waterwood custom bait. These things are handmade in the rainforest south of Brazil. And I mean, as you can see right here, it's a fish catching bait. It's got the front hook. That means they wanted it. This bait's, uh, it, it's running really true. It throws really well. Guys, check them out at waterwoodcustombaits.com.
leader in underwater viewing technology. Find what you are looking for. Catch more fish. Have more fun. Aquaview. Seeing is believing. Why do you love catching fish and rods? I'm truly losing less fish. Is the sensitivity of the rod. That are made right here in North Carolina in the USA. Strongest, lightest rod, 100% made here in Sanford, North Carolina. From the drop shot rod to the flipping stick, every rod has a purpose to it, and I rely on them all the time when I'm out doing a tournament. Durability in the John Cruz Worming Series, the counterbalancing in the handle. It's the only rod I found that can withstand my hook set. Boom, goes the dynamite. On the water, not spent fishing is a moment wasted. That's why Minkota and Humminbird have joined forces to bring you the One Boat Network. Products that communicate and integrate to help you take full command of your boat. Born from our commitment to making the most advanced fishing gear even better by making it work together. The One Boat Network will help you find, get to, stay on, and catch more fish. When One Boat Network products talk to each other, they can navigate your boat automatically. They can give you a crystal clear view of what's below with no messy wires. And they can let you lower, raise, and change shallow water anchor modes from anywhere on the boat. But that's just the beginning. We're never done innovating, integrating, and making your boat simpler and easier to control. All so you can make every second on the water count. We are we are back live, everybody. Uh, glad you're here. What a great show! What an important show. I think I think it's uh, I think it's important for us to spend time uh, talking about issues that impact our waterways, that impact fishing, sport fishing, and we're going to make sure that we do that at Bash University uh, every chance we get. So uh, today is is a great one. Uh, we're going to be talking uh, to man, just a, an amazing angler talking about one of the most iconic fisheries on the planet in the sport of bass fishing, Lake Okeechobee, and what's happening down there with, uh, with vegetation and water levels. So uh, without any further ado, this is 11-time FLW champ, Forest Wood Cup champ, now fishing over on the Bassmaster Elite, hunting down the Bassmaster Classic title, and really, really thrilled to have him with us. Scott Martin, everybody. Hey, Scott, how are you, buddy? Hey, again. Thanks for having me, Pete. Appreciate you having me on. It's uh, quite an honor to be honest with you, man. Good stuff. Ah, uh, it's it's it, it's great to have you here with with us. Uh, I remember uh, we we did the Scott Martin challenge. I don't know you've done so many of them. You might not even remember, remember. but you, you 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 and B Height put the beat down on me and Ish, and I'm still a little angry about it. I <laughs> know uh, that. that that, remember the water was like a hundred. It was like it was like one hundred one, one hundred two. It was like one of the highest uh, water levels ever in Champlain. And those fish, those largemouth, showed up out of nowhere in that muddy water, like in that passage area. And you, yep. you could not do wrong. You could flip a jig by any laydown in the water and catch a three to five pound largemouth. It was absolutely ridiculous how fun that was. I I, I was one of the some of the best, and I didn't even do good in that tournament. You know, I, all the Same. tournaments I fell in. 
I didn't do good in that one because it was so specific to certain places around the lake where this was happening. But when you got on that little on that zone, it was crazy. It was crazy good. And it was weird because I had gotten on that at practice. And then I think the wind shifted direction and lowered the water level in that part of the lake or something. Yeah. And it, and it went away. And uh, I kept looking for it every day. Actually, Ish and I went over to it. I'm like, you know what? About four days ago, I caught some fish on this pattern. Let's just go give it a go. And after the tournament was over, and, and just like you said, man, everywhere you threw a jig, uh, a green fish swam off with it. That was pretty cool. That was that was truly a lot of fun. That was a special, a special place. So, yep. Speaking of special places, I guess you've heard all about the craziness down here on Okeechobee with the thirty-pound bag setting records and all the different things that it's been doing. It's been, it's been, it's been something else. That's crazy. I did it. Was it one tournament that had 20 bags over 30 pounds? Is that, is that what I heard? Yeah, that's true. Yes. Hillary and I had 29, we had 29.55 or something like right at, I mean, literally a half a pound from, from 30. And, um, we finished 23rd. <laughs> Holy <laughs> smokes. We dropped the 30 pound bag. We finished 23rd in the event, but you know, it was good that weekend. It was, it was good for about, for about 30 days straight and it's still pretty good now, but we're in between moon cycles. So the fish are moving in for uh, the bluegill spawn and move back out. But it wasn't just good for that one tournament. The Jimmy McMillan event they had uh, two weeks before that tournament had the same type of deal. There was only 70 boats in the event. I think there was 12 or 13 bags over 30 out of only 70 boats. So, you know, it, it's, and it happens every year like this in April, April, May during the, during the bluegill spawn, uh, those those big fish they post spawn in those bluegill bed areas, and you can catch some of the biggest bags of the year. But this year's been a little extra special. Man, that is extra special. I, boy, I, I'd love to see the tournament trail. The big, you know, the elites come down there in April. Man, that would be amazing. Yeah, I honestly think if we hit it right on on it, it would need to be on a moon cycle with the, for the bluegill. Mm-hmm. You know, the cycles in April, the first moon cycle in May. Uh, if you hit it with those those weekends, I mean, it, I think you could do. I think it'd break 100 pounds. I really do because it, again, it's every it's every single year this time of the year. There's mid 30s, mid 30s, mid 30s. Not necessarily 20 20 of them, but there's a lot of them, and um, it, it's been it's been spectacular. And that's one of the reasons I'm fighting so hard to protect this lake. You know, it's we're, we're as good as the fishing is, and there is good fishing right now. Uh, you know, our good habitats dwindling. Scott got a call. <laughs> um, my phone rang. Uh, my ha- our habitat here on the lake at an alarming rate right now, and so that's the importance of of me trying to educate the people, getting some support because we need we need uh, we need everybody that loves fishing. We need everybody that especially loves Lake Okeechobee to get involved. You know, I, we started an organization called Anglers for Lake Okeechobee. That's what this hat says: AFLO, Anglers for Lake Okeechobee. And we're the voice for the lake. Um, you know, awesome. we, we, we all populations around the lake here. These towns are not that big, but we um, we need we need anglers and we need fishermen, passionate fishermen to you know help us spread the word and protect this beautiful resource here behind me. Well, it, I mean that Lake Okeechobee. I mean, it's got to be one of the the iconic lake in the sport of bass fishing, if not in the top two or three. You know, that's when you think of bass fishing. In Florida, it's Lake Okeechobee. Uh, and it's a, it's a powerful, powerful uh, force that way. A lot of people watching this, 
they have no idea what's going on down there. Um, right. As a matter of fact, I heard you talk about it coming across the stage uh, at, at one of the elite events, and it brought it to my attention. I'm like, well, wh- what the heck's happening down there? So, I, so t- tell, tell us what – it's a water level thing, right? We're fighting about keeping that water level where we need it to keep vegetation the way we need it for, for bass. Yeah, exactly. I'll clarify it even more. It's really, it's really, yes, water levels are important. But let me tell you what it's about, Pete, and you'll get, you'll understand. It's about habitat. At the end of the day, it's about habitat. We mm-hmm. need, how do we get habitat? We can only have habitat grow in the lake when the water levels are at a certain level. If the water levels are ex- extremely too high, uh, this is a natural lake. This lake was not man-made. It's not, it's, it's not a reservoir that somebody built. It's a natural lake that has natural elevations and the bays and the estuaries around the lake are designed with the with the elevation to have three to five feet of water in those bays, not five to eight feet of water. When you have five to eight feet of water, all of your submerged vegetation drowns out. The 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 wave action. This lake's big. People don't realize that you know this lake's thirty miles across. So when you get a you know a north wind blowing twenty five miles an hour, you've got wave action. You've got two to three feet of storm sur- a wind surge, and we call it a wind tide here on the lake. All that water flows into these marshes, and it just destroys all of the submerged vegetation. It uproots the cattails that we need for barriers to kind of protect us from the wind and the wave action. And that high water just destroys all of that habitat. And, and, and we have to have low water or lower water uh, that will help promote that to grow. We also need to start planting some vegetation. They need to put, they need to invest some money in, in habitat restoration, which is a whole nother conversation. Um, but there has to be work done. We can't just say, Oh, Lake Okeechobee is a natural lake and it flourishes between 12 and 15 feet. That's the natural elevation of the lake. We can't just say, Oh, just because we, we don't know where to put all this extra water that's coming down the Kissimmee river. It's not our water, by the way, this is water that comes from all over the state of Florida. We're the holding tank for all the South Florida's water. It comes down and we just can't say, Oh, well, let's just hold the lake at 15 to 17 or 18 feet and it should, everything should be fine. Cause it's not going to be fine. We've lost most of our vegetation to put it in perspective, Pete, and you've been coming here for a long time. And this is what I want to educate the viewers on. When, 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 when you used to come down the first few times, you probably came here. And as I grew up, there was in, at any given time, there was between 50 and 70,000 acres of submerged vegetation, meaning the peppergrass beds went a mile offshore fish eating Bay monkey box was solid hydrilla. The Dice's ditch area. When you came out of the canal, mm-hmm left and right it was hydrilla and eelgrass as far as you could see acres and acres and acres of it yeah right so so we had 50 to seventy thousand acres of submerged vegetation at any given time for all those years we're down to like three thousand acres of submerged vegetation so that might put it in perspective of what turn is we went from 50 to three and we can't get back to 50 if we're going to hold the water at 16 17 18 feet and not do anything about planting more vegetation or creating some barriers for some habitat to grow, whatever we need to do. We can't just sit back and just let Lake Okeechobee, all all of its vegetation go away. The other real important part of that is that we're all dealing with water quality issues. Okay. You've heard on the news with the algae blooms and you've heard about discharging and you've heard all the things all over the mainstream media. And, and again, this water that's in the lake that we're trying to like get it out is not Lake Okeechobee's water. It's not water that rained on Lake Okeechobee and filled Lake Okeechobee up. This is the runoff from Central Florida. 
even Orlando, it comes down the Kissimmee River. That's the runoff. We're the holding tank for everyone else's water. So it's not even our water that we're, it's ever the other people's water that's killing Lake Okeechobee and destroying it. 95% of the water that comes down, 95% of the water that's in the lake comes down the Kissimmee River. So, so, so we're all about trying to make sure that we can manage the water properly. If Lake Okeechobee, all right, you, you have a fish tank, I'm sure maybe you had one when you were growing up, right? Sure. Every tank has a filter in it. Your pool, if you have a pool, it has a filter in it. If your filter, if you take your filter and get rid of it, let's just take the cotton out of your fish tank or get rid of the filter by your pool and let it just run for the next five years, what do you think is going to happen to the water? And that's what we expect. Yeah, right. We, Lake Okeechobee's filter is not being a filter anymore. We have Mm -hmm. to address the water in Lake Okeechobee and allow the water in Lake Okeechobee to filter its own water. Then when the water is discharged to different places, because it has to be at some point, it's a much cleaner water, you know? And so that's what we're fighting for. We, we, we need, we need attention. We need awareness. You know, so many people say things like, well, just send all the water South. You'll probably hear, you'll probably hear that in the comments. Just send the water South. They're sending every bit of water that they can send to the Everglades, but they can't send too much to the Everglades because it'll drown it out too. And if you drown the Everglades out and lose that filter, then we've got big problems. So you can only let so much water out at a time, different places. And so, you know, we, we need more habitat in the lake. We need we need water solutions north of the lake so we can hold water north of the lake for a short amount of time. So that way, when the water levels reside or recede and the rainy season's over, we can start releasing that water back into the lake and kind of pulse it in there. But we, you know, it has to, Lake Okeechobee just can't be a holding tank for everyone else's water. So that, right now, they're, they're who, who's in charge? Who's saying, all right, we're going to, hold it this at this level right because they could discharge it east and west right and get rid of that water the u.s army corps uh is 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 manages the lake they set forth the plans they've had meetings after meetings after meetings trying to come up with the proper water level and water schedule for lake okeechobee which used to be a 12 to 15 and a half foot lake schedule and we could we could kind of deal with that we could kind of work with that but they've This year, they've changed it where they can hold that water up to 17 and a half feet, which is absolutely the death of any remaining submerged vegetation. Now, it, it, and that's what's scary. So the, so the state of Florida, so, uh, uh, Corps of Engineers are the who really manages this lake. State of Florida's responsibility is the health of the lake. FWC's responsibility is the habitat. They need to you know, make sure that they're stepping up to the plate. And letting the state know that, hey, our habitat's down to alarming levels. We need to do something about it now. Uh, And the Corps of Engineers needs to also uh, lock hands with FWC and the people and the stakeholders around this lake to to have the proper water levels here. You know, they they do send water east and west. But let let me again back it up to another, another point. We didn't have these water quality issues 10 years ago. There weren't people yelling and screaming on the coast when we discharged water 10, 15 years ago. Because we had 50,000 acres of vegetation in the lake. So when the water west through the monkey box and into the Clusahatchee River, think of all the billions of gallons of water that's getting filtered every day for free. Well, we don't right. have. And now when that water goes, the parts per million are higher. You know, we've got so much nutrient load coming in from the Kissimmee River. Um, straight shot. You've been in the Kissimmee River. What does it look like to you, Pete? Does that look like a river or does it look like a canal with, with a levee on each side? 
Yeah, it's it's a canal. It's a canal. So that mm. water just flows into Lake Okeechobee during the rainy season at an alarming rate, unfiltered. There's a lot of issues with it, but the issue that needs to be addressed right now and an, an issue that can be fixed uh, with some with some good planning and some money is we need habitat restoration and we need to put this lake back into recovery mode so we can get the vegetation to take hold. Then when we have 50 or 60 or 70,000 acres of submerged vegetation in Lake Okeechobee, Pete, the lake can go to 17 or 18 feet for a short amount of time to hold water for certain reasons. And we might lose 10 or 15 or 20% of that vegetation while it's at that level. But when you lose 20 or 20% of 50,000 acres, that 50,000 acres will rebound so quickly because that grass will grow upon itself and rebound. But when you have virtually zero, you can't rebound from zero. What, what, what is, uh, what is going on with the habitat restoration? Uh, are you, uh, soliciting that or are you trying to get that approved or is somebody working on that project? We're always fighting for it. And I tell you, we need, we need to fight for it more. We need people that are listening to this to reach out to every representative that they know in the state of Florida, uh, the governor, they need to reach out to everybody in, in, in Tallahassee and say that we need funding for Lake Okeechobee. It's real easy. They fund a lot of projects. Let me tell you that, Pete. I'm talking billions of dollars worth of funding on water mm-hmm. projects around the state of Florida all the time. And we support all those. You know, we're, we're very involved in all the water projects going on. And when they finally get all of these water projects done, which might not be in our lifetime, you know, it is going to make a huge difference. But at the end of the day, we need funding and we need attention to Lake Okeechobee today. Our small little communities around this lake, and you've, you've seen them all, we depend on Lake Okeechobee for tourism, for our livelihood. You know, these guides and these people that, that, that have businesses here that rely on tourists to come to South Florida to visit Lake Okeechobee, the, the, our livelihood is on the line. You know, I wish we had beaches and malls and golf courses and gigantic great things that the coast has, but we don't here. We have Lake Okeechobee and we have farming and that's about it. And uh, we have to protect Lake Okeechobee and, and protect our jobs and protect our resources here around our lake. Otherwise, I don't know what's going to happen. Man, that's, uh, that's a lot going on. And, uh, I, you know, I, I feel like, uh, you know, I reached out to the ASA on your behalf. I told you I would. Yep. And, um, and I'm going to, when I communicate with them, I'm going to give you, give you some feedback, Scott, and as well as, people listening on the show on, you know, what, what kind of measures that, uh, you know, we, we can take as sport fishermen, uh, to get behind this. But, uh, do you, do you have a website, you know, you talk, is there anywhere people can go directly to, to get involved? Absolutely. Anglers for Lake Okeechobee on Facebook and on Instagram, jump over there, uh, like our page. I, I am on the page every single day. I'm the one responding to the comments trying to educate people on it. You know, I, I'm, you know, and one more thing that I, that I really want to say too, that's so important. And I, and I left this out on accident and, and because water levels are such a big deal and habitat's such a big deal, but the use of chemicals that the state has been using on all of our lakes around uh, Florida for all these years is just absolutely out of control. Uh, mm. The amount of chemicals that they're spraying into our water systems here to battle the hyacinths and some of the non-native grasses that they target are absolutely crazy and here's why you know they they spend about two million dollars a year spraying on lake okeechobee just just on lake okeechobee there's airboats right there you've seen them pete the guys in the white coats yeah 
water hyacinths. And so what happens is you spray the water hyacinths with all that chemical. It kills the water hyacinths. They sink to the bottom. Uh, that creates a very soft, mucky bottom. So now the, the pH of the soil um, is not favorable for grass to grow. So that starts to hurt. And also you're getting uh, kind of a legacy load mm. of chemicals falling in the same areas. If you've noticed, those hyacinths always collect in the same areas year after year after year, right? There's never like, oh, there's hyacinths over here this year. No, they're always along the same shorelines, around the same areas. And so if you keep spraying those places year after year after year, you can imagine what it's doing to the bottom. And 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 it's not only a Lake Okeechobee problem. It's all the lakes that are connected to Lake Okeechobee with the overspraying. We have to, at the same time as we're watching Lake Okeechobee and trying to make sure that we can get habitat back in Lake Okeechobee, we also have to pay attention to the smaller lakes that, that also are filters for the water. You know, Lake Istapoga, for example, Kissimmee, the, the, the whole Kissimmee chain, some of the lakes around north of us, those watersheds need to be addressed as well and, and kept clean, kept full of vegetation so that water, when it runs, everything runs downhill. When it all runs downhill and eventually gets to us and beyond, it's just a better water quality. And uh, so we have to stop spraying. We need to invest uh, in mechanical harvesting, which will be a big deal. That way we're not spraying the chemicals in the water. It costs more money to do mechanical harvesting, but you know what? I want, I want my grandkids to enjoy Lake Okeechobee. I want my grandkids, grandkids to enjoy Lake Okeechobee. I don't see how anybody in their right mind would think that for the next X amount of unlimited years that we can keep spraying thousands of gallons of chemicals all around our lakes in the same exact areas year after year after year. And it's not going to create some major destruction, which it is. Where's the, where's the disconnect between like as fishermen we understand how important grass is for a body of water how important submerged all vegetation is for a body of water and what it does to the quality of the water where is the disconnect between us and for in your example the fwc and to the to the army corps like why don't they understand that the way that we do? Like, I just, I can't, I, I can never wrap my head around the, the, the thought process of getting rid of grass completely or not wanting it because of all the benefits it has. So like, why is that not jiving? It's absolutely mind boggling. You know, it's not an issue that only like Okeechobee has to deal with. You hear these same stories all over the country. Um, yeah. I don't understand it. It's it's almost like it's almost like a conspiracy theory in my mind. Like, okay, is there somebody getting paid here to say grass is bad? Let's just make sure that we keep everything at a low level. And I, I don't understand it. I really don't. But you know, submerged vegetation is absolutely vital to not only the habitat, I mean, the fishery and the fish and the and the offspring and the spawning, the wildlife, the ducks, the manatees, all of that yeah. benefit greatly from from having aquatic vegetation in these lakes. And um, hydrilla, for example, you know, hydrilla is not a native grass, but it does wonders. It's a very resilient grass. And on certain lakes, not every lake, on certain lakes, hydrilla is a good thing. I, I actually have been proposing and I've been getting a lot of uh, pushback on it, but I've been proposing and I'm going to keep proposing it that we should look into planting hydrilla in Lake Okeechobee. It would never take over Lake Okeechobee. Lake Okeechobee is too big. There's too much open water, too much fluctuation in the water level, et cetera, that the hydrilla would never just completely take over Lake Okeechobee, but just think of the billions of gallons of water it could actually clean and filter every single yeah. day. Scott, don't they have these zones in Florida, the stormwater treatment areas? Is that what yeah. they call them, the STAs? 
STAs, yeah. And so, so there's STAs. And I'm glad you brought that up because it's another thing that we're working on. So the STAs are, are, are storm treat areas, okay? And most of the STAs are south of Lake Okeechobee. And so that's why the water that leaves the lake um, goes to the farms and goes to all the irrigation and goes to different places. And then it goes into the STAs. And the STAs, guess what the STAs are full of? It uses grass, right? Oh, yeah, exactly. Hydrilla, yeah. eelgrass, peppergrass, cattails. They're not out there dumping a bunch of chemicals in that water because they want all the acreage they can get because they know that right. one grass filters a whole lot of water. And um, those STAs. So Okeechobee is really a giant STA then, right? Exactly. Yes, they should treat. There's not a house on the lake. There's not a ski course on the lake. There's nothing on the lake other than this is one of the largest natural resources in the state of Florida and the country. Yeah. And we should treat this lake as a giant STA. It's paid for. We don't have to buy the land. We don't have to put people out of business. All right. we have there's to there's do no conflicts with jet skiers or homeowners <laughs> like I saw at Candlewood, right? They don't yeah. want the grass because they can't swim. Right. Well, you don't have it that problem. Chokes right? out their dock or something. Right. Yeah. Right. It's an aesthetic thing, you know, that's really frustrating to deal with. Yeah. But where you are, there's you don't have that conflict. Right. I mean, it. no, no. a hundred thousand acres in this lake would do so much good for everybody. And then again, you could hold the lake high. You could hold the lake at higher levels at times to to, you know, offset some of the discharges. Hmm. The other thing we're working on, guys, and this is super important. And and this is what I want to educate the viewers on. You know, we're, I'm bringing them kind of full circle. There's, there's several key things on on what we're fighting for water levels habitat uh restoration budgeting etc uh, and you brought up stas so the projects north of the lake okay which is a which is a new thing these are all projects that we've started really pushing on in the in the south Florida water management and the core or proven projects north of lake of Okeechobee now and this is very important and we need the public to support these and these projects north of the lake are, are above ground storage so they're going to make STAs north of the lake. So that way the water coming off the Kissimmee River can be diverted into these STAs, which are, again, filter marshes, and create a nice bunch of filter for that water that then comes back into the Kissimmee River and eventually makes it into Lake Okeechobee. There's also uh, works for ASR wells, which is a which is a great thing. So where they take the water and they put it underground, and they can store it underground for a certain amount of time. I'm talking lots of water. It's safe. They use ASR wells all over the state of Florida. Uh, for water treatment plants and everything so it's a it's a very proven technology they can take that water put it underground and then hold it during the rainy season when we don't need the water then during the dry season when the water levels are coming down people need water they can reach uh, extract that water from those asr wells no damage done and send it back to the system or back to those above ground seas and uh and so fixing the problem at the source is vital to getting this whole system fixed you know Absolutely. You, you, project south but if we don't address where it's coming from yeah. we can't ever get there so living shorelines and all that stuff need needs every inch needs to be used right for for filtration before it gets to you yeah exactly i mean that's what it used to do so just to put it in perspective and the reason why projects north of the lake are again so important before they straightened the Kissimmee River, back if you looked at the historical maps of the Kissimmee River, it was a winding river from yep. Kissimmee Lake for hundreds of miles as it turned back and forth, oxbow after oxbow. And during the rainy season, everything flooded out into those big uh, uh, marshes and all the cypress swamps there, which are now cattle farms, by the way. Um, 
that would all flood out through that giant river. When you drive on the, you know, you drive up to central Florida on the turnpike there and you look out left and right of the, of the turnpike, it's all these prairies. All that would be underwater during the rainy season and create a filter marsh. So that way when the water mm. would come back into the Kissimmee River and flow into the lake, it was a much cleaner filtered water. It would take weeks and weeks for that water to go from Kissimmee to Okeechobee. Now it only takes about a day. I mean, are it's you, just river. Wow. Are, you, are you seeing a clarity change in Okeechobee? If you're going from 50,000 acres to 3,000 acres, is, is the water clarity changing? It is. It is. Uh, the water clarity, the water clarity, you know, I'd say, I would say the majority of the lake, and I don't know the percentage of it, but I mean, I'm going to say like 90% of the lake is, is, is unfavorable water, water color right now, uh, clarity. And, and part of it, part of it is we don't have the vegetation. Okay. And, and when we used to have vegetation and Pete might even remember this, when we had 50,000 acres of vegetation, which then created hundreds of uh, thousands of acres of clean and clear water, the other, there was another grass that grew on the bottom. It was called shrimp grass. Okay. And the shrimp grass would grow and it's like a, it's like a, it's a, it's, a, it's spiny shrimp grass. It kind of stinks a little bit. If you held it, it only grows maybe several inches off the bottom, but it's a carpet. And what, what's important about that grass is that it would hold the sediment down. So as the wind would blow, that shrimp grass that covers the bottom would uh, uh, not allow the sediment to dislodge and stir into the water column. You know, we've had all these hurricanes. So when you have hurricanes, uh, tremendous reduction in submerged vegetation and years and years and years and years over spraying, all the particles of dead plant material, it just stays suspended in the water column so much longer now when it used to fall out, but now it's just so... Yeah, so now you have a you have a water clarity issue, which is going to affect your grass growth too, right? So you're Correct. on a slippery slope, you know. Yeah. Water water clarity and water depth go hand in hand because now we have unfavorable water clarity in six and seven feet of water in these estuaries and these bays like East Wall, West Wall, Coot Bay, where now the light can't get down to the bottom right. to even allow the. You know that's right. the thing. Again, going back to water levels, and that's why. All these things are so important to talk about. It's not just one issue. It's water levels. It's habitat restoration. It's the quit spraying. And, and, and it's, the, it's those things, you know, that we have to address. It's a three-pronged approach, to be honest with you. What, what about, Scott, you know, I've read a little bit. What about the berm itself? Isn't, isn't there an issue with having too much water level in, in Okeechobee putting pressure and stresses on, on the berm? berm? Is, that, is, that, is there any truth to that? Or? There was truth to that, but... Uh, lo and behold, they spent, uh, don't quote me on this, but it was over a billion dollars to strengthen the levee, which is great that they have strengthened the levee to protect us from a major direct hit hurricane where the water levels could possibly breach or tear up the levee. Uh, that's great. But now with the renewed strength of the levee, it has now allowed some of the people making decisions on this lake or the people making decisions on the lake to feel like, Hey, it's a great opportunity for us to change the water level in Lake Okeechobee. Right, now, right, yeah. Put 16, hmm. 18, 18 feet in it, and and that'll solve a lot of our problems right now. But it, but but they're not being compassionate to to the the communities around our lake, to the people that that depend on this lake. Again, this is the most important part, guys. That's a natural resource. They don't own that lake. I own that lake. You own that lake. That is a public lake. 
that lake's been there well before anybody. Just because they put a levee around it doesn't give anybody the right to jack the water level up and just do what you want with it. If they bought that land and built the lake like they did in Texas and things, they have a little bit more control over what they want to do. That is a natural resource that somehow they're kind of hijacking into turning into mm. a, like a reservoir. You can't do that. Mm. Yeah, people, people are pissed. Friend of the show, Eli Delaney, who visits Florida a lot, is just furious with the, the spraying that's taking place in, in Florida. And, and like you said, the, 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 the organic muck bottom that it's creating by this, that by this dying vegetation, just stacking up year over year, over year, this, the bass can't even get to the sand anymore in places. I'm sure, you know, cause of, cause of that just horrible muck. And, and of course that's an oxygen, oxygen depletion uh, scenario. It's just, uh, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a rough deal. We hear you, Eli. What do you got, Jocelyn? We have a few people. Oh, we phone call. <laughs> Probably Scott got a another call. I'm here. Okay. I'm here. We have a few people on the message board that um, obviously share the same passion as you do, but they've been seeing a lot of spraying going on as well. Um, Will Shelby wants to know: Has there been a lot of local businesses shut down from the low water? Um, I tell you what, there's a lot of businesses majorly suffering from the bad water. That's for sure. Okay. They're suffering from the bad water because our habitat's down. It's down. You know, again, the lake, the lake's fishing good. You can have all these, you know, I don't know how many, 400 and something thousand acres of fishable water, right? So, so it's, it's not a, it's not a, hey, don't ever come to Lake Okeechobee because everything's destroyed. But I tell you what, we're down like those 30 pound bags came out of four or five different areas around the lake that were small areas. They weren't caught just in every right. single section they were caught in four or five remaining good <laughs> areas good clean water and those areas are still good but if we don't do something about it when we lose those areas i don't know where we're going to fish yeah well that actually right. brings me to the next question zoltan wants to know how did you educate yourself on all this information where could they go to look at their own state to find out what's going on yeah so you know i i'm i'm uh I've researched a lot of it. I've sat in the meetings. I've, I've watched the slideshows. Um, I've read the data. There's not one particular place, but I tell you, um, following our page, AFLOW, you know, if you message us, uh, hopefully we'll be able to provide you some links and some things that you can at least look to where we, we look at some of our resources. But um, the Corps of Engineers manages a lot of lakes around the country. They manage mostly all of them that I'm aware of. Um, that's a great place to start. They do have to document everything that they do and you can go back and look at studies like for example south Florida water management um uh and and the army corps have charts uh, aquatic vegetation charts that you can google right now and you go it'll pop up and it'll show you the historical places where that submerged vegetation used to be and you can see the exact measurements of vegetation certain different types of vegetation it had twenty two thousand acres of eelgrass it had forty two thousand acres of hydrilla etc cetera, etc cetera. And, and those are all public things, but you know, it's there, the information's there that, so if you're dealing with some issues on any of your lakes around the country, uh, if it's managed by a public uh, committee, uh, the, the data, a lot of times there, you just got to, they don't make it easy for you to find You just got to find it because you can arm yourself and you can see the differences of what's going on. And that's, you know, that's just facts. You know, it's, yeah. uh, it, it's amazing. Go back and Google Lake Okeechobee's SAV, submerged vegetation charts on Lake Okeechobee. That'd be shocking to you. Yeah, the the grass battle wait will wage on. I know, as fishermen, 
we clearly see the benefit. We see the benefit for the ecosystem, mm -hmm. uh, right? We battle like they're battling at Candlewood Lake. I didn't know if you heard us talk about it, Scott, but uh, they put grass carp in Candlewood and it wiped out the grass. And now the, the visibility is down to 12 inches or less. And oh uh, used to at, be crystal clear. Used to be crystal clear. The, the, the homeowners wanted that grass gone. They like got Saint it gone. And now yeah. nobody wants to go swimming in the lake, you know? Yeah. Well, that, that's a, that is a, me it's a messy, messy thing. And when you start peeling the onion back on, on the, um, uh, the spray companies, uh, how they go about doing their business. It is, it is, it is truly scary. It is, there is some stuff going on that is, and there's some there's some warriors out there that are, that are, that are blowing the whistle pretty hard on a lot of these companies around the country, especially here in Florida with applied aquatics, trying to uh, show some of the disconnects and some of the things that are going on. And I applaud that because it, it is scary because it's like, you know, their, their business is to <laughs> sell chemical and employ, mm. you know, employ their, uh, their, and keep their boats running. So, you know, I don't ever, I don't ever see them, uh, I don't ever see them going to a meeting asking for less budget. I don't, I don't do that. I, I haven't noticed that <laughs> when you, where they, Hey, we, you know, we've done such a great job at keeping the grass at a low level. We don't really need any more budget here for Lake Okeechobee or any other lake. Right. They never ask for less budget. They always try to get the exact same or more. And, uh, and another thing too, why aren't, why aren't some of, and this is a, a thing, you know, if in the meantime, while we're still dealing with chemicals, which is so idiotic, um, until we start doing all mechanical, why don't every organization around the country, if you're going to spend, if you're going to allocate a million dollars for Candlewood Lake or a million dollars for Lake Okeechobee for, 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 uh, grass eradication. Okay certain percentage of your good soil is going to get ruined every time you do that. A certain percentage of your soil, certain percentage of your good native grasses are going to get destroyed in the meantime while they're destroying the non-natives because of overspraying or whatever's going on. So why isn't there 25 cents on the dollar that's put back into each one of these lakes for habitat yeah. restoration? So if they're going to grant a million dollars for spray budget on a, on a lake, $250,000 every single year should be granted for habitat restoration where there's people going out there planting vegetation in the places that we're losing it, but they don't even do that. I mean, it's like, why do I have to bring up these, these to me, these are such common sense ideas, but, but we all need to start singing the same song. We all need to start fighting for the same thing. We got to get rid of spraying, but until then they need to start paying cents on the dollar for every dollar in that budget for registration. That's, that's how you solve some of it. Yeah. That's, that's an interesting concept. And, um, I know, well, you know, for, for you guys listening, I mean, why do, why do people want to kill the grass? The homeowners want it gone because it chokes off their docks. It clogs up their outboards and it ma makes their, you know, their water skiing and maybe their aesthetics of their, or their property on the lake, uh, a little bit uncomfortable. Uh, so they're aggressive about attacking the grass in a lot of situations like they were, like they did at Candlewood, uh, other places um, have that I've I've seen have a little bit more uh, um, I don't know makes sense makes sense that the grass needs to be addressed because of the turbines and power generation it can clog uh, the you know they need to reduce or minimize the the vegetation that gets jammed up in in the operation of locks and and uh, and turbines uh, why else are they killing grass. Yeah, I, I I don't understand. Maybe to get out the invasive, so the the, the, the native... kill, yeah, destroy the invasives to give the the natives 
a, a chance to grow. Yeah, we're, I guess we're seeing more much. grass. You know, we're seeing more grass now. You know, on the Delaware River than mm-hmm. we, we ever used to have, right? And the water clarity is changing, and the grass beds are coming back. So we're seeing a slight of a you know kind of a success story from the grass. More native eel grass is coming back everywhere. It used to be one yeah. spot in the river had grass. Now it's <laughs> now it's everywhere. You know, so. That's a feel good. I, you know, I, I can relate to the idea that you need, you need your submerged grass. You know? No, I, and, and here's the, I've talked, Scott, to so many biologists and they swear up and down the spraying doesn't affect the fish or that you're, that you're, yeah. you're targeting. But every single time, like you'll be on a winning pattern. You're like, oh, I got a school of fish in this milfoil bed and you'll show up that morning and they're spraying that grass or they yeah. sprayed it the day before. And those, I never catch a fish out of that stuff ever. No, 100%. It runs them out of there. It kills all the invertebrates uh, in that grass that the bluegill and all the smaller fish feed on. Uh, it, it definitely does damage. It, it's, there's, it's, not, I mean, they can say what they want to say. That is not true at all. It does mm-hmm. damage to the, to the fishery for sure. Um, you know, when you, and also you take into account, just think of all the millions. Okay, now they're spraying down here during the spawn, right? And they're probably spraying a lot of your lakes during the spawn too. So where are the bass fry going to hide if there's not much vegetation left? So you're telling me that you, when you go in and you nuke a whole giant bay full of grass that during the spawn, that all the billions of little bass fry and bluegill fry and every kind of fry you can imagine that need that habitat to say, have safe safety, uh, that hurts the, that hurts the fishery in itself. Man. Crashes the population, right? Yeah, the change just falls apart. Yeah, yeah. I can't. I, I mean, that's well. The, you bring that up. I mean, that's that sounds horrible to me <laughs> to be spraying during the spawn. We do everything we can to protect the spawn. We put limits on fish and catch rates and yeah. everything else. And and uh, down down in your area, they're spraying the darn uh, nursery. You know. Oh, it. You know what's crazy? And I brought this up to him a few years ago, and I'm like, look, you know, until we can get this stopped. Why don't we adopt a policy called Spray Smart? And they're like, huh, what is that? I said, Spray Smart, because right now we're spraying dumb. Spray Smart is simple. We have our tourists show up in Florida in November, and they leave about mid-April, okay? Guess what else shows up in November to mid-April? All the bass are spawning, the ducks are flying, the manatees are swimming. Like, this is our, this is, this is when... This is our make make or break time of the year, right? For everything, the fish have to spawn. Everything's got to happen in those four or five months. But yet we're out there, we're out there in the middle of the monkey box or on the North Shore. And you've been here many a times in February when we had the bass tournaments. And the day before the tournament, there here comes the airboats right there at Dice's Ditch with the big things just spraying all the yeah. ice. And, and then so you have people showing up from Michigan and all over the country. Uh, man, we're so excited about getting Lake Okeechobee. They launched their boat, and there's dudes in, in, in hazmat suits on airboats shooting water <laughs> chemicals, and everything's dead looking. It looks like a looks like everything's burnt. Like, why are we doing it that time of the year when when we mm. shouldn't be spraying at all during those months, or not even anywhere that we would deem uh, a tourist destination on the lake or any type of habitat for ducks or bass spawning? I mean, they could go way back into some marshes that aren't being used and do some work during that time of the year, but they don't, we, 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 we do it all wrong, you know? And it's like, it's like, we don't, we don't allow, we don't allow us to get ahead down here. And, and it's just, it's, it's again, until we can get rid of spraying completely, we need to spray smart. We don't need to be spraying 
during certain times of the year in certain areas on the lake. They need to move their uh, their work other places. And, and, you know, you can go out there and spray some of that stuff if you had to in the summertime because nobody's out there. I like that. Spray smart. That's a that's a great term, Jocelyn. What do you got? So our subscriber, Todd, has a question that I think everyone's wondering. Are there meetings regarding the spray schedule? Are they posted to the public when they're actually going to be spraying? We do get emails. There are emails. The FWC okay. sends out emails. And so I'm sure the public could request to be added to that email. Um, so they do spray. And that that's for several reasons. One, because, you know, let's say, you know, God forbid somebody got in front of one of those airboats or, you know, got sprayed on or something like that. That would be bad, too. So. Uh, yeah, they, they try to educate people on where they're going to spray. Um, but uh, and we've, you know, we we've we've pushed them hard. I remember, Pete, this was years ago. It was after the hurricane hit us and it destroyed a lot of habitat. and We didn't have much left. And we had one area up on the shoal uh, called um, uh, Turner's Cove area. Turner's Cove still had a big wall of uh, cattails that went out in the lake. And it protected that north wind from pushing that muddy water in there. So that whole big bay was staying pretty clean and clear. And that's where everyone was fishing. I mean, you'd go in there, it'd be 25, 30 boats, crappie fishing, bass fishing. I mean, everything was there. It was like the only remaining good habitat on this side of the lake after the hurricane. And there was hyacinths mixed into those cattails. And I was up there fishing. It was a couple of weeks before the FLW tournament. And I hear the airboats coming. And I'm like, oh, no. What, 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 what are we doing here? And here they come and they stop and they pull out their wands and they're getting ready to start spraying. And I took my bass boat and drove right up in front of them. And I did a Tiananmen square in my bass boat. And I yelled at that guy and told him that we're not spraying this. We're not, you got to call whoever you got to call, but my boat is not leaving this area. It's not leaving this area. You're not spraying it. And they, that guy had to get on the phone, was yelling at me. Uh, the Corps of Engineers at the time was managing the lake and the spray 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 programs, and they called those boats off and made them leave. Wow! Oh, but you know, that's what we have to do. I mean, that's what yeah, we're Scott. At. You know, we can't just let people that don't give a you know what about mm -hmm. the habitat, the fish. They don't have an understanding of of what's good and bad. They just they. They just they they calculate how many acres of hyacinths and they just formulate a plan based on that, not spawning areas or time of year. I think we need to stop for our president twenty twenty four. There's a I just there's want to be a, making a difference here on this lake. That's the only president I want to be part of, and I'm passionate about it. I mean, it, again, again, this is so important. This is a natural resource. This is a public, natural, God given. Yeah. Course, it's been there since the beginning of time. You cannot build a levee around it and all of a sudden just take ownership of it and do what you want with it. You have to, it's not made to be a 17 or 18 foot lake. The ducks don't deserve that. The bass don't deserve it. The, the, the manatees don't deserve it. The, the history of this lake doesn't deserve it. We have to protect Lake Toby. It's as important to this system as anything in the system. And um, that's what I'm fighting for. Well, you know, I think every every schedule ought to pass by your desk, Scott, before it gets authorized. The uh, the you said something, Craig, and this, you know, we what was that phrase? I, I'm probably going to screw this up, but the the friend of my enemy is my friend, or something to that effect. We we yeah. at times when it's important to us as anglers, we got to partner with groups that that have a like minded cause. Like so at times, 
uh, when it comes to access, we partner with jet skis, right? They're, we're all fighting for access to our waterways, mm-hmm. so we be, become partners. The manatee uh, world has got to be furious with what's happening. Uh, this has got to be a great, great partner for for us to embrace you know, like and Aud- work with, like Audubon or somebody that's worried yeah. about the the bird population or the right duck population. Yeah. yeah, you have anything like that, Scott? Is there anybody else that feels the same way you do about you know, uh, the Aud- grass Aud- and the habitat? Aud- yes, the, Aud- the Audubon shares a lot of our same beliefs on the water level schedules and the habitat that we're dealing with here. Ducks Unlimited, of course. Um, would agree that, that our habitat's down to, to, you know, tr- tremendously low numbers and, and certain water levels and, and there needs to be action done. Um, you know, I don't, I don't have a manatee foundation that I've partnered with, but i tell you what, there's manatees in this lake. Um, and they're not happy. I promise you that they're swimming around out there. Not, not, not liking, not liking their uh, surroundings. I promise you. Mm. Yeah, I know. I, I know they got to be, uh, that's got to be a great partner. We got to try to find a way to link arms and uh, mm-hmm. and work together as a group uh, to try to help your cause because it, it's a big one. We want to. I and and personally, I mean, I fell in love with Lake Okeechobee. It was just amazing uh, coming from you know the Northeast. I never saw anything like that. You know, I mean it. It it we have these little lakes that somewhat resemble it, but you're at the you're, it's thirty miles around, wow. and it's yeah. these reeds and. And there was just bass everywhere. Like, like a lot of Florida lakes that I went to, I'm like, uh, Florida, Florida bass are stupid. They're so hard. They're they're a pain in the ass. Hard to catch. At Lake Okeechobee, I found man, they 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 gang up and they'll school yeah. and and they're fun. And it's just it's such an amazing fishery. It's so iconic. Uh, we we need to do what we can. Yeah, yeah. I know you touched on this a bit, but we've been getting this question a lot. Um, you said that the chemicals during spraying do not, they say do not affect the fish, but do they affect the fry or the mature fish? Like, is there any, the biologist, the biologist will say the chemicals that they're using do not have a negative uh, impact on the, on the, on the fish of the biology of the fish. Mm -hmm. But uh, what, what, what we've noticed as anglers is when that grass gets sprayed almost immediately, uh it chases things yeah, out of the do. area they leave they shut they, they shut leave down. or yeah. they shut down actually i got into a debate once about with a biologist about this scott that they did shocking studies after spraying and they found the fish were still there like they were still there where they sprayed but but impossible to catch you know so i don't know what's ha- i don't know what happens to the fish during that process, but something, something clearly impacts well, it, them, you know, just because it doesn't kill them, you know, right. Yeah. It makes them probably makes them ill. Yeah. You know they're stoned. I mean? They're yeah. just sitting back, <laughs> listening to Jimmy Buffett, just not got, interested in biting the lure. I've got a, I've got an interesting observation. So, so if this chemical that they spray is no big deal, right. Uh, did we lose somebody? Uh, we just lost the, the video feed. Scott, okay. we got you. Okay, so so here's one for you. Let's think about this for a minute. Since since the biologists say that's no big deal, it didn't hurt the fish at all. We've done these studies; the fish are there, everything's great, doesn't do anything. Why is the guy spraying the chemical in a damn hazmat suit with a mask on? I'm just curious. <laughs> I mean, why don't you just put him out there in shorts and a tank top? I mean, let the chemicals get all over him. Since it doesn't do anything to fish, you know that's a bunch of crap, dude. Uh, it it isn't good. 
Um, chemical in water is not a natural thing. It's something that we just can't keep doing for the rest of eternity, right? I mean, there has to be, an, like, I get why they did chemicals back in the day because it was cheaper. And at the time, you know, it was a massive effort. Um, but you know what? We need to do mechanical harvesting. We have to we have to get away from this. And, and yeah, it's going to cost a lot more money to do mechanical harvesting, a lot more management of it. But you know what? It's worth it for the long haul. It is 100 percent. Yeah, we we have mechanical harvesters at some of our lakes, like Lake Apacong. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we you know, that's a, that's a full time job for a whole group of guys. They go out and they just it, it works, though. Yeah. I mean, it, it yeah. knocks the weeds back. It, it does. Is, yeah, it controls it. Do you, do you have advisories uh, on your lake? Like, I know you probably get a lot of agricultural runoff from pesticides and arsenic and things like that. Do you see those levels in, in the fish at Okeechobee? Like if you eat, you know, if you eat crappy yeah. or bass, people that consume the fish, those are limits. The, the 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 fish in the lake are fine to eat right now. There, there's no ma major issues with that. We're not we're not getting those type of um, don't eat the fish type uh, reports, you know. And just to clarify, you know, just just because I do want to clarify this runoff, right? So a lot of people would think, and this is what people have thought over the years, is that um, all the farming around the lake. They suck water out of the lake and then they dump it all back in the lake that's full of pesticides and chemicals and fertilizer. And they just keep dump, pulling it and dumping it back in and back and forth. It's actually not what happens. Uh, the farming, uh, everything runs downhill here, right? So you have a gravity fed, everything's gravity fed. Um, the farmers around the lake, which are not just sugarcane farmers, they, you know, all the corn. If you eat corn, if you had corn this Thanksgiving and this Christmas, and you had some of your vegetables on your plate, it most likely came from our region right here around South Florida. A lot of people don't realize that because corn can't grow in the snow. Uh, vegetables can't grow in the snow. And in the wintertime, uh, South Florida is the breadbasket for the United States. You're either going to get vegetables from Florida uh, or California or possibly Mexico. That's about the only three places you're going to get vegetables uh, in the wintertime. So um, all the farmers, they pull the water out of the lake. They use it for irrigation. And then that water is then sent uh, through canal systems and into those STAs. Those STAs then filter the water back out and then it goes to uh, uh, cleaner than rainwater when it comes out of the STAs, again, full of grass, comes out cleaner than rainwater on parts per million and goes into the Everglades. That's one reason they can't just send all the water south is because there's certain water requirements that the Everglades need. Uh, there's minimum um, parts per million that can be accepted into the Everglades. So that's why the STAs are important south of the lakes that, that comes out of the farms, into the STAs, filtered better than rainwater, then goes into the Everglades and everything's good. That's why you can't just, again, just pull a lever and just dump all the extra water you want into the Everglades because the parts per million wouldn't meet the uh, requirement the Everglades need. But mm. going back to that, STA is full of grass. It cleans and clears the water. It's proven. Let's fill the lake full of grass. Let Lake Okeechobee be its own STA. Let's build STAs north of the lake. Let's store water north of the lake. Those are the projects that we need to have happen and, uh, and we're getting some progress there, but we just need to educate the, the public so they can stand behind us on what we're trying to do because we're trying to fix the system here. We're trying to, you know, make a big difference, not only for Lake Okeechobee, but for all the water in South Florida. Uh, and, but it all starts right here. This is where all the water, water is held. But again, the water's not pulled in from the farmers and then dumped back in the lake. So there's not agricultural runoff into the lake because that levee that goes all the way around it prevents from any runoff. The only runoff that goes into the lake comes through the Kissimmee River Valley and some of the canal systems north of the lake that come from like Indian Prairie Canal and Lake Estepoga and some of those lakes. So the water comes in from the north, sits in Lake Okeechobee and leaves out of the south. 
That's how the system works. So for the people that think that, oh, it's it's all these farmers that are creating these problems, that's really that's really not the case. You know, the, the farmers are really trying everything they can to help the water as well. So we're all we're all pulling the rope. We're all trying to pull the rope in the same direction. Just needs a lot of attention. Yes. Well, you're the perfect voice for it, Scott. And uh, I'm glad you're taking it up. I really am. And uh, we want to do, you know, keep us informed. Like if there's something that you want the Bass University community that needs to know about or you need participation in any initiative or signing or writing letters, let, let, let me know and I'll make sure it gets out to our community so we can, we can help and uh, help you in your cause. That's the reason we started a flow is it, it gives a, it gives a central place for pe people that, that, uh, that want to make a difference in this water, water issues to, uh, to go and, and have their voice heard and be part of the conversation. Now, like I said, I'm on there every single day, trying to educate as many people as I can that, that don't quite understand the, the, the complexity of what we're dealing with here. Um, so I really appreciate, uh, you know, allowing us to, or allowing me to talk and, and, and really kind of educate the viewers today. Again, Lake Okeechobee is good. The fishing's great. Don't run away from Lake Okeechobee. Matter of fact, it's some of the best in the world right now. <laughs> One of the reasons is because those, those, those areas are not all that big. So, you know, you get in those areas, you can really catch them big time. I mean, they're just 30 pound bags swimming everywhere. It's crazy. It might be so, a little easier to find right now, you know? It really, kind of is. It really is. And, and, and one of the other things too, when we have the high water this, this upcoming year, which we will hit 17 and a half or 18 feet, I imagine, um, moonshine Bay, which was something that hasn't been a player for the last five or six years. So there are some back marshes that do come into, come into play when the water is high. Like oh, that's cool other areas so the fishing the fishing this um this spring you know it, for all for all intents and purposes should be pretty darn good but but we're here to protect the longevity of the lake right we're, we're going to reap some benefits of it right now because of the condition it's in but but we need we need to fix the lake we have to get vegetation back in it we have to we have to get it back to the way she used to be we hear you um what uh what was the winning weight you have 20 bags of 30 pounds what 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 is the winning bag coming in at down there? Like 97, so basically 37 pounds. There was two 36s, what? A 35s, a whole bunch of 34s, 33s. I mean, just crazy. Like I, I, several people that I know, you know, they threw back 30 pound bags. Like they called <laughs> four and they called a 30. I don't know if I can carry that bag. You know? All right, <laughs> oh, that's crazy. What, and, and what? Top water bites. These are on frogs and spooks oh and my God. bug baits and stuff. Like, oh, holy mackerel. When are we leaving, man? Uh, right after this. Yeah, right after it. this. We're, we're headed, we're headed it's your way, man. The uh, Hillary's going right now. Like, she tried to come in the office just now, and I'm like, no, hold on a minute. She's got the boat plugged in. She's going right now. She's like, the perfect conditions right now. A little overcast, light winds. She's going to catch about a 35 pound bag today. Oh man, that that's that's so awesome! Well, you're out on the elites, man. You're gonna you're working uh, for your goal is to get that classic win. How are you enjoying your time over there at the elites? It's been a lot of fun. I tell you, you know, it's it's something. I'm so glad I'm there. It's uh, it's awesome. You know, it's it's what I've dreamed about. You know, growing up all those years watching Dad compete on the Bassmaster Tour and just dreaming about it one day uh, finally came true. So you know, when the shakeup in the industry happened, I had a couple different choices on where I needed to go and. I'm sure glad I'm over there. You know, I enjoy it. You know, it's a lot of fun. I've got a lot of my buddies there. Uh, I tell you what, though, it, it has de definitely uh, gotten harder to compete with these guys. Uh, it, it just 
in general, all fishermen have just gotten really, really good. And because these kids, I mean, Hillary is 17 and she, she knows more about fishing at 17 than I did at 24. You know what I mean? Like right. it, it, these mm. kids now and these young anglers are just so educated and so versatile now that um, it, it's a, uh, it's eye opening, but it's fun. I'm having a lot of fun out there. My goals are simple. I want to win. Uh, I want to win a blue trophy. I got to get one, and uh, of course, I got to win that Bassmasters Classic. That would be uh, that would be pretty amazing, to be honest with you. So, you know, Dad tried for all those years, fishing the Bassmaster for 40 years, came in second several times, but never, never was able to win that. And uh, you know, I'm going to give it all I can. Go for you. I I saw you weigh in. I don't know if it was at Santee or or Murray, and uh, and your and your dad came down from turkey hunting. Yeah. And uh, I'm like, he's just he's just nonstop. Your dad. He's turkey hunting. He's driving hours and hours to see you weigh in. He's 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 all in still. I don't. I think I think he's been lying about his age or something. I think he's <laughs> telling everybody he was forty. He was really like twenty eight. I don't I don't know what the heck's going on. He's eighty three years old. He, he, he's got tremendous health at 83. He can do 50 push-ups right now. Like, he's wow. in this great shape. He's driving all over the place, fishing. It's just, he's wide open. It's 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 impressive. And uh, I look forward to, hopefully, I'll see him sometime soon. And you. And maybe, maybe see you near one of these elites. We'll, uh, uh, we, we're, Bash, you will be uh, at every elite this year. You guys, are you guys coming up to... Do you have Champlain or anything up here in the Northeast on your schedule? Champlain, yeah, middle of August. Yeah. There you go. Good time. There you go. And, and hey, we both know a pattern that might apply in August <laughs> on Lake Champlain. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe it'll come back and, uh, and visit you again for that tournament. That'd be awesome. Sounds good. I appreciate you guys. Yeah. Well, it was great having you. The great Scott Martin, everybody. Thank you. That was, uh, that was tremendously insightful. Uh, about what's happening yeah, down right. there uh it's so passionate because you know him like you know his mom they have roland martin marina yeah. down there yeah. they've they've built uh oh, their, that's great to see their him. lives it's great to see him where he on is that lake life, right yeah you know, just digging in yeah being so into the you know into the weeds with him no pun intended you know? <laughs> but i mean you know knee deep yeah. yeah i mean he's got the voice he's got the platform you know what i mean and we need yeah. we need guys like that you know, yep. for our, our movements, you know, for He's super passionate about it. Yeah. Too. For conservation, for access. Yeah. I mean, we, we need, we need those anglers. Like yeah. That, that, yep. He's the know. face, the name and the voice. He's the perfect man to, to protect He's that resource. Being diplomatic about it. He's being mm. forceful about it. It's, it's yep. good to see. Yeah. It's really good to see. And appreciated him being with us guys. We got some cool stuff, some giveaways. Uh, once again, we're going to be giving away uh, Riz's and Justin's waypoints uh, as soon, as well as a lot of prizes. So we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back after this. I have to have the best eyewear. My eyes are essential to doing my job. It's the highest quality lens that I've ever used. Top of the line performance in these glasses. But they're priced for absolutely everyone. The everyday angler can afford them. As a touring professional pro, if I can depend on them, I know the weekend angler can as well. Hobie eyewear, built for the pros. Price for everyone.
Pete Gluzak here, Bash University, announcing our partnership with Cortland Braided Line. Very excited to be working with such a long-standing company like Cortland that builds supreme quality lines in a lot of different areas. A lot of people know them in the, in the fly fishing area, but man, the braided lines are phenomenal. This is the master braid dyed high visibility lines. I use this for strike detection. It's great castability, toughness, great knot strength. It's all the things that we need as bass fishermen. And they've got a really cool line that's called Silent Flip. And it's designed to be more stealthy. Get, you, get your baits in that heavy vegetation, that heavy wood cover, in more of a stealthy mode. It's gonna help you get a lot more bites. Give it a try, go check them out. It's Cortland Braided Fishing Line. So, so proud and happy to be partnering with them at Bass University. If you're a subscriber to Bass University, we're gonna have a lot of great opportunities for you to get your get a hold of some of this line and give it a try. Go check it out. I'm Pete Kluzak for Bass University. You do something more fishing related, right? What's the wind? And we're back. All right, guys, welcome back to Bass University Live. <laughs> That was a quick one. Second session. Second session. Uh, uh, thanks for hanging out with us, guys. Um, if you're watching over on social, don't forget we got a like and share um, prize for you guys that we're going to be giving away real soon, as well as a trivia question that uh, that we're going to be uh, we're going to be asking shortly. But a lot, Jocelyn was saying a lot of guys are talking about the challenges that we're uh, that we're seeing down on the Chesapeake right now. And uh, I know we've been active, the three of us, Justin and Rich and myself, have been uh, been active down there on the Chesapeake. And conditions conditions have been challenging. The 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 bites per man hour have been pretty small, really, pretty small, wouldn't you say, Rich? Dramatically down, dramatically down, and the weights are. Are uh, are the same right now, and yeah. you know, I'm not really sure exactly why or what's going on. Uh, but you know, it's uh, all the grass in, in its normal spots. The grass is better than it's ever been. The wow. grass is incredibly healthy and prolific, and acres and acres of it. And uh, we're we're just uh, what what we had was we have that typical springtime thing that a lot of you guys are fishing down there now. We get that runoff from the Susquehanna River. And we had that big nor'easter kind of storm coming, yeah. lay down a few inches of rain up through Pennsylvania, New York, up to Canada, and and it all comes down, and it it just for about two weeks, it it raged, yeah, yeah, yeah. it raged through the floodgates at the Conowingo, and and every it's rich. What do you? Th it seemed like before that happened, things were ramping up nicely. Yeah, things were. Uh... Things were definitely starting to go, you know, they were, we were catching them in some areas pretty good that we expected to. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that, that big rain event really, really threw things for a loop. And, you know, when, when the bay finally started to clear out um, and, you know, the water cleaned up, there was a weekend of events, um, not this weekend, this past weekend, the weekend before there was a, New Jersey Bass Nation event uh, out there that weekend. And then there was also a couple of other, you know, local events that it really took some big weights. So, you know, when the when the when the flat did finally clear up and started to clean up, they really caught him good. But, you know, it it she went back to back to tough uh, this weekend. And, um, you know, it's uh, 
you know, it's a little tricky out there right now, but sometimes that can be a good thing for a tournament guy. You know what I mean? It's like uh, if you can get a little something going when it's tricky, it can go a long way for you. And that's kind of right? pretty quick. Yeah. Kind of what, uh, how, how things unfolded for me this weekend. What you did nice, nicely. Let's give you and Justin both a shout out. Justin stepped away there, but mm-hmm. with the, the uh, Susquehanna fishing tackle does this summer slam, which, uh, they, they moved up to may and, uh, 100 and what 60 boats, 180 wow. boats, a wow. lot, a lot of participation. And a big, big tournament. Uh, a shout out to Mike Centaur, uh, who who won that event, and Sean McKee, uh, who who wrote my soundtrack. Pete's um, all wet, but the uh, those guys won with 19 pounds, and they really did a nice job. Uh, but our two boys, our Bash University boys, both scored checks. Rich with a with a sixth place finish and a 16 pound bag and. Uh, Justin, did you crack the top 10? You were right there. Yeah, I think we got ninth. Yeah. Look at that. Sixth and ninth sitting right there at Red Bank. Well, no wonder you guys you guys have houses at Red Bank. Awesome. Yeah, Red Point. Red Point. Red yeah. Point. But uh no, it was uh as always, Susquehanna Fishing Tackle runs a great event. They had 163 boats. Um, you know, so the uh a lot of the areas uh they were busy. Mm-hmm. And um you know, great, great event as always. Uh, Pete, it was one of those, one of those deals for me where I knew when I got to, I, I was at about 14 and a half, 15 pounds. And it's crazy to say, but I actually looked at my partner with less than 16 pounds of life. I said, dude, we're close right now. Like we are, we are, we are, cl- we're, we're, we're close to where we need to be because of how, how tough the fishing has been. And, um, you know, we, we got to about that 16 pound mark and I, I, I was, I knew, you know, we're, we're one bite away right now. Cause we had a two and a half sitting in the box that, you know, we never shook off and, um, you know, it's, uh, it was a, it was a tricky tournament, Pete, because the, the wind on Saturday night blew hard overnight, uh, out of the North and it was a low tide at, 7 a.m. or just before that and the wind had been blowing all night out of the north blew the water real low and just just generally just you know had the flat just rolling you know white caps rolling across the flat all morning and you know up to this point the last couple weeks last few weeks the morning bite out on the grass has been really strong like it's it's been like you you know you got to get out there you got to land on them and you got to put you got to get some good ones in the boat first thing in the morning because that's when they've been firing. And um, uh, on Sunday they didn't because the water was blown real low, yeah. the wind was blowing hard, and you know I, I started out on on an area that I, I expected them to be. I expected to be able to get some bites. I I went out on on Saturday afternoon after after volunteering for the the Ike Foundation event. I went out Saturday afternoon and. Um, only had two or three bites in an area, but I was like, well, with as tough as it's been, you know, this is, I'm going to have to put some, put some time in here. And, um, went out in the morning and only, only had, uh, only had one good bite, um, in the first hour and a half. And I was actually fishing through an area and, uh, one of my good friends was, was, was fishing. We were kind of trading back and forth, uh, cause we fished together on Friday. So we both knew what was going on. And, 
I told him, I said, man, I, dude, I feel like these fish out here right now, they're just not going to bite, but they're going to bite in the middle of the day. And um, so I ran around and as the water was coming up, I ran some other, you know, perimeter type of stuff, you know, trying to put something together and it never materialized. But I got back out there at uh, about 10, 10, 30. If I check my GoPro footage, I think it would be like 1035 is when I got back out there and um, first drift back through where I thought they would thought, thought they would be. We caught we caught three big ones or three good ones for, for this time of year. And, uh, but that was after the water had came up to almost full. Um, so it was, it was really like a, just a matter of, you know, they, the wind screwed them up in the morning and then, you know, in the afternoon when they got a little bit of water over their head and got comfortable, they decided to, they decided to fire again. And, uh, with the, with the hard, with the hard wind blowing and the conditions it presented, it allowed me to wind and kind of fish the, fish the baits that I like to fish to, you know, feel like I'm going to have some success with. And, uh, yeah, you know, it ended, we ended up scr scratching out 1625 and, um, it's kind of crazy to think that we got paid with that. Cause last year in that same event, I had 21 five and came in seventh. So that yeah. just kind of gives you some perspective on what's going on with yeah. the, uh, with the weights right now. Yeah. It, and a lot of that is conditions, right? That North wind and yeah. it's still recovering yeah. from the, yeah. the river blast. And, uh, yeah. but that is interesting. Wow. Big five pound difference in weights and you finish virtually same place in the tournament. Yeah. Uh, pretty, yeah. pretty well still nonetheless, good, good track record, man. I'll, I'll take top tens and big derbies like that any day of the week. Right. Uh, right. Well done both you guys. And, uh, and I want to give a couple shout outs too. Our own Justin Kimmel uh, yes. hop cracked a top 10 down at Lake Wheeler at the open wow. uh, and did an uh, amazing job down there. Uh, really contended the win uh, throughout that tournament. So uh, well done, Justin. And uh, and Matt Henry, who we had on the show, who just continues to battle the elite qualification points. And he slipped in for the last place check at that open, too. Uh, so great to great to see both of those guys doing so well. And I want to, uh, you know, give a big shout out to to Morrison, who I'm not for, I'm not I've not met him. But uh, my gosh, he won by over twenty four pounds. Oh. Alec Morrison. What an amazing win down at Rayburn at the, the Toledo Bend tournament. Um, man, just slammed it. Um, could crushing and uh and we also uh you know got to watch uh, a lot of the major league fishing this weekend and uh jacob wheeler won by a 10 pound margin or more down at lake gunnersville and lake gunnersville just continued to uh to just you know put out my it looked tricky like uh it, some guys really struggled but boy the guys that caught them just smashed them up uh using forward facing sonar using a cool if I had to call it some a fluke style uh, uh, bait, that's going to be coming out soon. But it was really cool to see him uh, win win that tournament in that fashion. And I had a lot of fun watching it because Dudley was using a, a wacky wacky worm, the the Dudley wacky worm, and he was he was up fishing bluegill beds, hmm. and he was going toe to toe with those guys on the ledges for for quite a long time. But the ledge guys uh, eventually overtook the shallow guys. A lot of action going on. There is. It really, it really I is busy. Take a quick moment just to acknowledge we have a brand new subscriber watching their first live show. 
Bryant Vale. Welcome. And he said, welcome, really Brian. cool content on conservation. Mm. So, and I also want to give a shout out to all the subscribers that are watching. Um, just to name a few, Will Shelby, Kendall L Lundford, <laughs> Tuck, Dan Allen, Todd, um, Zoltan. I just want to give you guys a great shout out and Nick Maryberry as well. They all sent some photos in that we'll be uh, probably posting on our Facebook and social media about their fishing this past weekend. And they all had really cool images of some fish. So uh, check us out and welcome, Brian. Welcome, Brian. Thanks for being part of the program. We've got a really cool thing going on right now. It's, it's the red, white and BU. There he is. The uh Red, white, and BU hat uh, for Celebration Memorial Day. It's going on right now. Uh, if you become an annual subscriber, we've got that and a cool a couple of Rappel crankbaits to go with that and some other cool stuff. So get yourself over and get yourself subscribed and take your fishing to the next level with us at, here at Bash U. We've got a, got a trivia question, Craig. You're going to have to help me ask this okay. question. Uh, we want to ask the, – the question is um, – Scott talked about what do we want to call it? A filtration area mm -hmm. that is being used uh, with with vegetation um, all around Lake Okeechobee, before, after, and all around. He talked about this uh, this filtration. What would you call it? Not a, an area basin. Yeah, a, a filtration yeah. basin zone. Or zones used. Yeah. It, it's uh, it has an acronym, and and we need to know that that acronym, the letters and the there name of that filtration basin that Scott talked about throughout this. Uh, or we already you know, got in <laughs> that Dan, quick. Dan Allen, come on, Dan with STA. STA, <laughs> yes. What is the STA? Stormwater treatment area. Stormwater treatment area. And it's funny how they're using that vegetation, the, the native vegetation in that treatment area to filter the water, but yet they're Scott, st yeah. stripping it from Lake Okeechobee, which would be the biggest STA in the, on the planet. In the planet. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We also have a like and share winner. Congrats, Kevin Lineman. Thank you, you Kevin. Like and share. Thank you, Kevin, for that. And uh, we, have, uh, we have something very exciting that's happening this week at Bash University. Yes, we, uh, we are super excited about it. I think I'm going to let the cat out of the bag a little bit. Uh -oh. Or should we do it like Mike did with the make an announcement that we're going to be making an announcement? Make an announcement <laughs> of an announcement. Uh, nah. and then just go you need a couple of weeks for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, for we, we I, I'm going to go ahead and, and uh, let the cat out of the bag. We've been working on this for a while. We're excited about it. We, get, uh, we have bass anglers uh, of all kinds, tournament guys. Uh, bank anglers, all pe all people that use Bash University, but we've had a lot of requests at our classes and and you know wherever we are on social to from the kayak world, they wanna they requested us to deliver Bash University style kayak training, which we have prepared for you guys. We're going to be releasing that uh, our first series of kayak uh, training is going to be released on Friday. We're, we're using uh, the top professional kayak anglers to, the, to teach those classes. Uh, and we're really excited. We're going to be launching that on Friday. So look for that to come tell your friends. Uh, if you're a kayak guy and you haven't subscribed to Bass University, you're going to want to get involved and check out what we're 
going to be bringing to you on uh, on Friday. You can expect to see the the press release is going to be going out on it actually today. So uh, you're the first to hear. Uh, look for Kayak Bash University uh, that is going to be released on Friday. And Rich, you were a big part of that. Um, we worked a, a lot with uh, with some of the top kayak guys. One of which is our own Greg DePalma. Yeah, won, about that win. Yeah, yeah he that was cool. Won yeah. his inaugural uh, a kayak tournament on Lake Gunnersville, and uh, and we you work with Jody Queen and Ryan Lambert, and uh, we've got a lot coming, Rich. Yeah, yeah, we do. We uh, we're we're, we're going to be releasing. Um, some really good content to open, open things up for the kayak fishing world. Uh, and we're going to, it's, it's, we're going to really get into everything that's involved in kayak fishing from how to rig your kayak, how to effectively just fish out of a kayak because it's different than a bass boat. Um, and you know, we're also of course going to be releasing all the technique specific content that you've gotten so used to seeing coming from bash utv so we're really uh we're really going to cover all the bases um with the kayak fishing um you know so that if somebody is you know an advanced angler in the kayak world we're gonna we're gonna be able to provide them with some great detailed information as well as somebody that's just starting to dip their toes in and just getting into it we're going to teach them from a to z how to get out on the water and become a better kayak angler quickly and we're going to be doing this training bash university style guys so this is going to be, you know, a little different from what you're used to seeing, um, uh, you know, on on your average social content, right? This is Bass University training where we're going to teach you these techniques from cradle to grave, from beginning to end. So you'll have an, a great chance at being able to go out and duplicate these techniques uh, once you once you watch the content at Bass University in the training. So really excited about it. Going to be launching on Friday. So uh Get yourself signed up, and you can look for a lot more of that stuff coming. Every Friday, we're going to have a new Bash University kayak release. And next Tuesday live, we're going to be having some of these guys in studio. We're going to be talking about kayak bass fishing uh, here on the Bash University podcast. So tune in next Tuesday, and we'll be talking to some of these guys. It's really great to see that our subscribers are super excited that we are going to be releasing this. It looks like a lot of our guys are actually kayakers, so they're, all, they're really excited. It's really an awesome uh, – It's kayak fishing has – it not only allows a guy to fish backwaters in a way that you just can't do it in a conventional boat, but it lets people – a lot more people be able to get to the water in, in a way in, – in a manageable way. Like, I mean, our trucks and boats, are, they're – hundred thousand dollars on these price tags on these boats and you can get out and enjoy bass fishing in the peaceful nature of a kayak you can compete at the top level there's so much there you bring a lot of tackle with you there's a lot of advantages to it you know what i mean it's not it's not as, as, as simple you know so mm. when we were kids and jumping a canoe or something right the kayak, uh, kayaks are amazing today i mean you amazing. got you got guys enjoying this sport with a paddle and a kayak and all the way up to forward-facing sonar. Oh, yeah, tripping motors. them out with motors in the back and yeah. front. Oh, yeah, it's pretty cool. <clears throat> My voice yeah. made it to this moment in the show. Yeah, now Pete's done. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you guys uh, are welcoming the kayak world, uh, or, you know, and then looking forward to it. We are, too. I think you're really going to love it. Tune in next Tuesday. We'll be talking to those guys. I'm Pete Kluzak. He's signing out for Bass <laughs> University Live. Have a great day, everybody. <laughs>